From Cathedral Hill in St. Paul, Minnesota, this is The Other Eleven, a podcast about the good, the bad, and the ugly of mental and behavioral health. My name is Andy Tiemann. Jackie and Andrew and I are back in the studio today, September 8th, which is R-U-O-K Day, part of Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month, to not only talk about asking that question, are you okay, but also to discuss what might be even harder than working up the courage to ask someone, are you okay, which is the then what. Imagine that friend of yours clearly not okay. Maybe they haven't been okay for a while. Most people, if you ask, they'll say, I'm all right, I'm okay, just just a bad day. But what if you ask and they say, no, no, I am not okay. What do you do? How do you respond? What if it's more than just a bad day? What if it's something serious and you're worried, like really worried? Let's dive in. I have a lot to say on the topic, so I'll I'll put it into context. I think there's two ways, are you okay, can go. Uh, You can ask a person, are you okay, and that person probably is generally okay. They're going through a tough time. They need a friend. They need support. Uh, They maybe would benefit from talking to somebody, but they're not struggling desperately with an underlying mental health or emotional health issue that could be catastrophic should you try and fix it and you are not a professional. So I think there's those just these two buckets, and I, I don't know how to articulate clearly or break it down into a super simple form to make sure that we're not abusing that that sentence are you okay because i think it's the what you said the the thing that comes next that can potentially be dangerous if we don't understand what resources are available like if if somebody is struggling and you say are you okay and then you dig in you're like i'm going to be your friend we'll go to the movies and that person really doesn't want to go to the movies. They want to kill themselves. Right. right? Well, and this, you know, this whole a... thing is about it's National Suicide Prevention Month. And that, I mean, that's that's what it's trying to thwart is the, the, the worst answer to that question. But I think there's a massive chasm between my kids having a hard time and I, I want to kill myself. Uh, but you're right. Jackie. There's like so many ways it could go and you don't there's a way to mess it up. Probably too. Yeah. So, what's the framework? I guess what of the question that we're asking is it uh, a friend at work or a friend that works in a different organization or a family member, neighbor, whatever. Yeah, somebody yeah. you know is generally not okay, and that's sort of why you ask the question, knowing that there's an answer there that needs to come out. I think Jackie pinpointed two, you know, far ends of the spectrum, and I think to your point, Andy. Uh, the conversation today is focused on this the, the middle part, right? The part where it's an acquaintance or a friend, and we have enough history with them uh, to have a reference point to say, from the Andy that I knew last year to what's going on today, things look different enough for me to cross sort of certain traditional social boundaries. It has become important enough for me to do where I normally might not because the social constructs that we live within allow for Jackie to say, I'm doing fine. And me to say, oh, well, good. I'm doing fine too. And then we move on with our day. Fine. uh, I'm forgetting exactly what the acronym stands for. Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. There There we go. go. Uh, And I think that's easy parlance in our society today, right? I'm fine. And and, And there's a full stop there in a period, which means no more, right? Don't ask me anymore. Then what I'm interested in is 
what is our social or moral responsibility to push beyond that? If I'm looking at Andy and you're not the man that I knew a year ago, and I'm also aware of outside influences that have come to bear upon you that are weighing heavily. Well, I think one important thing you said was how you set it up. Um, You didn't say, are you okay? Which is totally a it feels like an isolating question as opposed to saying, Andy, I know you, I've known you for a long time. And the way you've been showing up lately makes me wonder if you've got something else going on in your life that's preventing you from being here happy and present, right? And maybe even list, give examples of that behavior so that he has a reference point instead of just asking, are you okay? Yeah. Because usually if you're going to ask that question, you know something's probably not okay. Or I want Yeah, to, so don't be saying, selfish and put the work on the person that is likely struggling. And that feels like a selfish thing to do. Instead, give them some context that maybe they're not capable of seeing at the moment from the position that they're in, right? So your response to me, um, if I ask you a question and you immediately snap, you're angry and volatile, I may say, oh, okay. There, there is a different conversation we should be having right now sure. other than the one that made you very upset and obviously you had a rough day, right? So, I mean, I think it some context always helps or framework to establish um, where you're coming from and also give the individual an opportunity to share from their point of view maybe why those things or recognize that a behavior change has happened. I think that's part of it, though, is when you know so there's the, God, I haven't seen so-and-so in two years. And my God, did you see how they're behaving or they look or they used to be like this and now they're not. And that's a tough, that's a harder one. That's truly a, how have you been? Are you okay? What's going on? Versus you've seen me over the course of the last year. And and you can say like, I, I've noticed this. I've noticed the change over time. Like, is everything all right? What's going on? You know, that, that's... So there's, there's a difference right there between like people you barely know or barely ever see and people you see every single day and you're kind of watching this happen to them. Mm-hmm. I also think we have some, we have uh, a lexicon here uh, that we use and some what we call rules of the road, right? When having a conversation with folks, we, we understand things maybe differently than the rest of the world. We know that, you know, we shouldn't wait for things to get worse so that there's this responsibility when it comes to saying something. Um, we also have a sense of urgency about, you know, making changes or showing up for people and doing the right thing. And that allows us to show up in a different place. So I almost wonder if sharing some of those cornerstones of our, um, you know, philosophy may be helpful when coming to the table to have a conversation like that. Well, here's one example. So a friend of ours was struggling with depression and they were in their thirties. And uh, if you remember, her parents came to us and said, um, be careful around this person. This is what's going on. And I took some time out to sit and tell them part of my story, which six months later or nine months later, the parents came back and said, uh, she reported that that was super helpful. Like in her journey to find a therapist and get on meds, uh, she found that conversation super helpful. And for me, it was telling my story, not telling her what to do, or I'm not a doctor, what kind of meds to be on, or what I thought about how her behavior made me feel. It was entirely my personal journey, hopefully focusing on things like reducing shame and stigma, uh, the fact that 
things that look like mountains are overcomable, that we move through things, uh, that, you know, the time is fluid and things change. So that was, you know, it was one instance where I remember it was sort of a soft approach of a way to apply help that wasn't how do I fix it, right? Because I think there's a big tendency on, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast, you know, the incorrect language, of course, which I admitted to using all the time was how can I help? This person didn't ask me for help, a third party, the parents asked for help, but I was able to maneuver the conversation around in such a way that I was able to present information that they were then able to pick up, which then yeah, was like useful. Credentializing yourself in the situation. You didn't say, well, man, you think that's bad. Check this out. Or, you didn't do that. Or climbing down in the hole with them to say, you're not the only person that's been in a hole. And the only difference between you and me is I know the way out. And, uh, you know, this is how I did it. Here's another example that I have. So I have a woman that I've known for a long period of time, probably 30 years, and I feel like I have the right, because of a long friendship, to be invested in what's going on in her life, But that, and that's my perception about what I think my <laughs> rights are based upon the longevity of our friendship, and she may perceive that differently, and I knew she was going through from lots of other friends, lots of issues at home with kids and husbands and making a living and all the things that are tough and that we struggle with. And uh, I made a pointed effort to continue to reach out and call and text. And uh, when I was able to get her on the phone, the answer was usually, uh, well, she would admit to certain things. Yes, this happened and this other thing happened. Uh, and then she would say, well, you know, it is what it is. And when she said that, it felt like there was a strong period at the end of that and sort of a hands up stop sign, meaning... Um, you know, a shrug. Uh, this is what life is. What are you going to do? And I'm sure that you agree with me. Therefore, let's move on and talk about something else. And then she'll quickly ask how my kids are doing and what's going on in St. Paul. And I have to admit to cowardice, right? Because um, I, I to date, have not pushed through that. I have not pushed through and said, listen, uh, we've known each other long enough that that's not a that's not a great answer for me. I feel like I have the right to ask for more. But I haven't done that because because I'm afraid. It's a tough thing to dig out of, though. I mean, the admission of defeat or deflection at the least. Well, I think it's an admission of, like, we don't deserve to be happy, right? To some degree, it's almost like, a, well, I guess I'll settle for being miserable instead, right? It, yeah. I mean, I think we, you and I especially, have this belief that we all get to make choices. And those choices um, should be towards happiness, fulfillment, joy, um, creating your own destiny, building the life that, you know, you envision for yourself, but also accepting where you are today on that journey, but not settling for circumstances that are less than okay, because that's just how life is. Right. So here's my challenge though, right? So I'm in the space with you. I'm been talking this talk for a long time. I'm good at the truth to power talk. And so one would imagine that if put in this position, I'm in a better position to challenge this than so if it's hard for me i guess is what i'm saying how hard is it for regular people like yeah. i'm afraid enough that i'll lose what i have right the friendship that i have today if i challenge it because i want something more for that person uh so the traditional form of fear i'm not going to get what i want or i'm going to lose what i have i'm afraid i'm going to lose what i have which is a tenuous friendship if i push right i think that this but what do you have to gain if it is you that loses a friendship because you stood up for something you believe ultimately makes that person's life 10 times better than you sacrifice the friendship. I mean, in my mind, it's a greater good for the greatest number of people. If you're saying that person has three lives that are also impacted by the way she shows up, 
then I would say you have to take a step back and, and decide whether or not the question that needs to be asked is more important than the thing you'll lose by asking it. I think the end of this point is that when you're in it, right, when you're cl- when it's close up in your face, uh, it's hard to distinguish. It's hard. I, I, so Jackie has some clarity, right? And everything she's saying makes perfect sense to me. But because I'm like at the art gallery and looking at the splatter painting from an inch away, I can't even see what I'm looking at. I think in the moment, you can't go wrong by being vulnerable, transparent, and honest with the person that you decided to be in a relationship with, right? And then later, if you have more to add to that dialogue, you certainly can. But if somebody's struggling, I don't know of a better way to show up than to sit, notice, listen, and be honest and transparent with them about your own experience and what they may be going through. So here's something interesting. So when we're talking about this woman that we've been speaking of, I would put her in the the place where um, she has no interest in discussing it. So I'm not sure it's necessarily denial, denial. I mean, she's aware that everything is deconstructing around her, but doesn't want to focus on it and thinks that if I just put my head down and work hard, I'll get past it or something. And then there's the other way of doing things, which is that the monkey mind can't do anything but bring up the topic of the struggles Every time he sees you for the entire time he's with you and he's incapable of talking about the weather or your family or anything else with any sort of depth or sincerity. And so I think folks in this place, as we're discussing this topic, I think fall at those two far ends of the spectrum. If you're in the middle, that means that you talk about things, you're willing to hear and be receptive to solutions and friendship. I think the sticking points are where people either deny that they have a problem or are so focused on the problem that they make it difficult for people to actually offer help. What if you talk to, you ask someone how they're doing and they are in trouble and it's imminent? What do you do? You better ask a professional for help. Right. I mean, I think the only answer in that scenario is if you don't have the skills, training, and ability to be the help yourself, which I would say 99% of the people asking this question don't you have a moral responsibility to act on that information and do something. Getting the information, helping them to get the information, connecting them with a resource. I don't think you should be asking the question without having that information in your back pocket. You should know what the National Suicide Prevention Hotline number is. We all should. You should know, you know, where locally you could get help if you needed it in a pinch. Um, I don't think it's a bad idea, just like you would know when you move to a new place where the local emergency room is, right? It's it's like having those tools for mental health, hygiene, having those pieces of information is something today in this world, everybody living on this planet should have. I've never encountered something that dire, thankfully, uh, with any friends, relatives, anybody. But like, what what if you're afraid to leave them alone? Do you just stay? You don't just call the police. Like, what do you do? Do you try to talk them into going somewhere? If you encounter that and you believe that somebody is going to do something to hurt themselves or someone else, then there are places you could call or go with that person. Um, I mentioned the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. You you could, as the person worried, call that hotline. Um, you could also leverage a support network for that individual. I think you also could go 
to the local emergency room if that was available to you and you would be willing to drive that person there and you had access to transportation. And I'm going to double down on that because I think that's a great question. And I think that to Jackie's point, 99% of the people, us included, aren't in a position to administer that kind of aid professionally, right? Not like licensed to do such. That being said, she's also right that we all should know how to use a fire extinguisher, right? We should understand, you know, what the fire alarm means in our house. I think you always absolutely have to take it seriously. I don't think you leave people alone. I think it's like with kids, you go ask an adult, right? And in this case, for us, an adult is someone that knows more than we do. So let's ratchet it down from suicide back to, like, you just know they would benefit from talking to someone other than you or their spouse. You know, the first and usual professional step is to get an assessment to speak with someone who can actually give them a a formal yes it sounds like you could benefit from or no that sounds like something that some small behavior changes would fix right i mean i think that's where you do leverage professional resources to get that kind of answer for you you don't assume that you know um what that person needs instead the right next step is to get them to somebody who can make that formal diagnosis or that formal, you should be doing this, this, and this in order to reduce your symptoms or address that root cause issue. So say we're talking about, you know, your friend, and it turns out when you push and you say, well, geez, that doesn't sound like a great outlook. You don't sound like you have a very strong perspective on what life, you know, could look like or Sounds like you're really struggling. I Have you talked to anybody about that? Do you have somebody that you're being honest with about what's going on, how hard it is, how you feel? Uh, and maybe they say yes. Maybe they say, I have a therapist or I have a psychiatrist or I have. And then I think you push to say, well, have you told them that whatever you're doing right now with them isn't working? Like, have you been honest? Because oftentimes people aren't always honest with the providers they see. I get that we keep coming back to this polarity of it's either an easy answer to uh, are you okay or a super challenging one, which has by default challenging answers to it. But I think we're back to the missing middle, right? This The, the middle ground of ongoing relationships you have with people that you're trying to navigate socially where there have been certain understood boundaries, things we talk about, things we don't talk about, we do talk about, but I don't talk about more serious things, you know? So these conventions, these constructs that we build, which allow two-way conversation, but then we're presented with a change, right? This idea that something's given, or we recognize they're going through tough times for this or that reason. And we don't just want to ask if they're okay so that we look like a good person. Like I said the right thing. You know, I asked if they were okay today and they said they were fine. So I feel good. But we do feel compelled somehow to be of larger or more effective use and service. I think that's where, um, I think that's where it's challenging from a purely social construct point of view. I think what's interesting is I don't, I don't believe the question, are you okay? Is a very helpful or useful conversation starter in this context. I think um, what's been helpful for me to break down how to have this conversation is the what keeps you up at night sort of starter conversation or, or angle because everybody has had something that's kept them up at night. And I think the thing that keeps you up many nights in a row is probably something that you should talk about with somebody. Um, and so 
instead of asking somebody, are you okay, which really means I've observed some behavior that would indicate that you're not okay, and what are we going to do about it? Uh, Instead, the next question could be, what's keeping you up at night? It's a much easier and almost more accessible question and answer than going deep into some hole that maybe you're not equipped to go into. And instead, keeping it in a place where most humans are able to have an honest conversation around a thing that is keeping them up at night instead of the root cause issues behind all of their moral dilemmas or psychological problems. I think it it helps to keep it grounded and in context. So I have a question for Jackie. (laughs) Not to put you on the spot, but I think it's something that uh, is important. I think about what people say to me when I have these types of conversations. And I think one of the frequent responses I get is, what the F good is that going to do talking to somebody? I talk about this all day and doesn't change a thing. And why is going to somebody? And that I don't think it's just a waste of my time. I don't believe in it anyway. I, I don't think talking about it helps at all. What's the power in talking about it? Why is there magic in that place to uh, unlock, you know, the monkey mind or the the struggles here? Well, I don't necessarily think talking about it is the thing. It's not the talk, it's the modality, right? Talk therapy is actually a, it's a constructive sort of time-bound format of having a conversation that allows somebody to change their behavior ultimately or recognize Um, their symptoms or educate the psychoeducation. So I think talking about it is not the thing that's going to fix it, right? I I think that there's lots of types of treatments or behavioral interventions, cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, there is uh, EMDR. It's not as simple as let's go talk about it, right? The idea is that the neural pathways in your brain, um, a, maybe may, there may be a chemical imbalance, they may not be firing correctly, and all of those things will need to be understood, potentially corrected with, you know, prescription, and then also modified with behavior change. I don't know all the neurological science, it's complicated and I'm sure it would take a lot longer than a podcast session. Also above our pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> Also not my area of expertise. Well, but just your question, like, what what is it about that? And, and you said, Jackie, that it's simply that there's a plan to those conversations. There's a there's a method to that. Yeah, again, it would require you to go and talk to somebody in in a format, maybe an assessment to start to figure out what it is that you would need. If you need to talk about a thing that happened and you're going through a tough time, but it's not a diagnosis and it's going to be fine, or... Uh, I may be more impacted by that thing that happened and my circumstances than I thought. And I think um, part of the challenge here is because we haven't paid attention to or we've kept under wraps a lot of discussions around mental and behavioral and emotional health for years and years, right? It was considered either deviant or you weren't, you know, fully grown or you mature enough. You know, there was just lots of pejorative ways to talk about having mental and emotional struggles. You weren't man enough, right? You should be able to just tie up your boots and get on with it. All this nonsense, which we've come to believe is truly nonsense and it's harmful and destructive. So the other side is that what's left over or the simplified version of 
getting mental or behavioral health is you should go talk to someone. And I'm not saying that's the right answer. I'm saying that's how it gets simplified in that one sentence, that somehow if I go talk to Dr. Blumhausen or whatever, it's going to make stuff better. And to Jackie's point, what's unknown to the general public is that if you take me today and you go, I go get a mental behavioral health assessment, uh, that there is a, a world of tools available for those practitioners then to say, here's what we are able to divine is going on with you. And it could be structural because I got hit with a hockey puck when I was young and it could be organic because my brain doesn't make enough serotonin. It could be situational because I just had a death of a parent. Uh, and it's up to them to narrow down exactly what it is, right? Is this emotional? Is it organic? You know, what, what's the genesis of the problem that seems to be driving my, to Jackie's question, inability to sleep at night, right? I don't sleep because my dad died or I don't sleep because of the hockey puck or, you know, and from there, then they have a huge tool chest of very divergent tools and approaches to treat a variety of mental and behavioral health issues. With varying degrees of evidence and efficacy, right? So, I mean, again, the, those tools, if assembled in the right manner over a period of time, delivered in a way and matched to the, you know, symptoms can fix the problem. And do. I, yes. I think that behavioral health is a terrible reputation as that stuff generally doesn't work, right? It's some sort of historical... Let me look into my crystal ball and... Yeah, voodoo, witchcraft. It's, you know, it's been demeaned for you know, all time. And we're struggling to fight our way to the top. And to Jackie's point, there is just reams and tons of evidence and evidence-based therapies that have real proven outcomes, right? We can drive remission. We can get real outcomes. This isn't just tell me what happened when you were six years old. There are times when that's very applicable because something happened when someone was six years old. But we, I think where this is going is that this is, to Jack's point, this is real science, right? It's hard data-backed science that has been understood and measured for many years. And there are many types of different practitioners that are able to provide real benefit for all of the people that we know today that exist and are struggling, the other 11. And so creating a, a day where we actually reach out and ask people, are you okay, is, is another attempt to try and reach the other 11. I guess this is crowdsourcing, right? They're putting it out to the public who are face-to-face with these individuals on a daily basis to say, you know, Andrew, Andy, you know, Jackie, you all are closest to the people that are around you. You know more than the, the primary care doctor who may only see him once a year or the barista or anybody else who they interface with on a daily basis. And so probably I would say they're trying to put some of that responsibility on us to say, if we want to generally improve the society we live in and you want you're going to ask us to be good citizens, this is a a pathway forward. That suicide hotline mentioned in the episode is 988, like 911, but 988. You can call it, you can text it, it's available 24-7. It's actually called the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, online at 988lifeline.org. Check it out. It's a good tool to have in your back pocket, just in case. And on that cheery note... I hope you are okay, and until next time, stay safe and see you out there.